What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Take the baseline out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Walking Pneumonia Dan Favalli, coming at you, as always, with my super-duper, incredibly awesome, times awesome, spectacular, fantabulous co-host, Andy Bailey. Um, we are here to talk about the Eastern Conference grades at the midseason mark as a follow-up to our Western Conference grades, which are already up. You should definitely check that out. Before we get started, as always, I really want to remind, implore, maybe beg you to head over to iTunes, uh, search for Hardwood Knox, give us a rating, a subscription, and even a review would be fantastic. We appreciate those. They help us. More than you know, and it's both an ego thing, of course, but also just skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Generally an exposure thing. So if you like us and you're listening to us, you probably have already subscribed, but maybe go over there and at least rate us. We, we will be eternally indebted, as I say, every podcast. And now the question that everyone is still dying to know, how are you doing, Andy? I'm doing good. Um, I just have to give you a shout out again for powering through walking pneumonia. You know, you say that, and I appreciate it, but I feel like my bosses at Bleacher Report probably don't as much. I've now missed two deadlines, and they've been very understanding, so shout out to them. Um, I've also That's, been— you, you deserve a little understanding. It's fine. The the offshoot of me—like, I'm kind of cranky now on Twitter with certain stuff because I'm sick, <laughs> and people are getting very angry because Adam Frommel and I have dropped our position rankings at Bleacher Report, and I'm not a huge fan of positions, but— f- but like people want to talk about players at positions. Like the casual fan still recognizes them. I'm I'm like sick of people getting mad that you know we use an objective analysis at cleaning the glass, uh, which has exhaustive positional data to determine where people are coming up with, and people are bent out of shape because Lamarcus Aldridge is classified as a center, or because Demar Derozan is classified as a small forward. When you look at his most used lineups, two of his top four lineups actually have him at small forward. So it's not like this – it's close. Like the positional data is close, but it's not like this 
blasphemous thing. It doesn't mean we're not watching games. It was just an objective way to do that. And I wish that everyone who was complaining about this stuff would, one, just focus on the bigger ranking, which will be the top 100 overall, and two, more importantly, just just shut up. Like, just get over it. <laughs> I wonder if we'll ever get to a point where the league just ditches positions and it's like guards, wings, and bigs or something. I'll even admit that it should be exactly like you said. It should be like wings and, and guards and, and bigs. That's what it should be now. But also, I also understand that— Oh, there's tons of people who still just, yeah, They use, use positions the as a talking point, and that's why those rankings yeah. like exist in this form. So I And it's why they're probably still getting tons and tons of reads, too. Right, and so like that's the other thing. You you have to cater to that a little bit. So that I've just been cranky with it because it's like, and someone was using Tim Duncan's legacy to justify this, and we've talked about it. Like Tim Duncan was a center, center, just, yeah. But they're like, well, he was recognized as a power forward, so why wouldn't Lamarcus Aldridge be? Like just because Tim Duncan is misclassified because it's easier to argue he's the best power forward of all time doesn't mean that <laughs> the Spurs aren't using Lamarcus at center. And yes, it's it's actually really close. I looked at it this morning. It's like fifty four to forty six. But hey, like that means he still played some center. So get over yourself. Um, with that though, now that my <laughs> complaining's out of the way, and I know you're on a time crunch today, so I should move on. As we begin the Eastern Conference grades of the midseason mark, I'm going to throw it to you. Where do you want to start? Oh man, I actually was so I I did the whole league um, right before we did the Western Conference grades. I, I graded everybody. And I actually revised a few of my Eastern Conference ones right before we started recording today. I'm going to start with one of the ones that I bumped up. And I, I took the Toronto Raptors from an A to an A+. Um, they shellacked the Cleveland Cavaliers last night in Toronto mm-hmm. in a game in which they didn't have Kyle Lowry. They didn't have Serge Ibaka. So two of their starters. DeMar DeRozan, who's probably been their best player this season which might sound crazy coming from me who's been (laughs) pounding the Kyle Lowry drum for years now um DeRozan only had 13 points on 5 of 13 shooting and they still just throttled the Cavs I think they won by 34 and and the game was decided in like the second quarter um that that team is deep there is chemistry uh there's continuity I, I looked this up this morning they have nine players on their team that have played over 500 minutes and have a box plus minus above zero. The two teams that are closest to that are the Golden State Warriors and the Utah Jazz, who each have seven um, such players. So in that way, you could argue that this, this is maybe the deepest team in the league right now. If I drop the minutes qualifier down to 250, they have 10 guys with a box plus minus over zero because uh, Lucas Nogueira has played just under 300 minutes. Um Long story short, they have nine or ten guys that they can get positive plus-level basketball out of, plus a legitimate superstar now, I think, in in DeMar DeRozan. He has grown so much this season. Um, Kyle Lowry, I think, is still doing his typical Kyle Lowry things. OG Ananobi is like a revelation. Like You've said a couple times on this podcast, we didn't even think he'd be playing to start the season. Um, Jakob Poodle is awesome off the bench. DeLon Wright. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I think this team is stacked. Uh, I might be ready to even say that they could take a game or two off the Cavaliers in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals if it comes to that. Yeah, I completely agree with you on the Raptors. I gave them an A last time, and I bumped them up to an A-plus now. Uh, this has been a great season for DeMar DeRozan stands, who kind of thought that all the 
guys who like to look at analytics, uh, guys and gals are, are jackasses for doing so. And uh, while that's just a different argument to have, different topic to discuss on another day, <laughs> you know, they can have their time because he's been absolutely sensational. And you look at like one of the biggest harbingers for me with his progression is in the 265 minutes he has played without Kyle Lowry this season. The Raptors are posting top-tier offensive and defensive ratings and outscoring opponents by 15.3 points per 100 possessions. The assist rate naturally plummets because he's doing so much, but like that number last year uh, when DeRozan played without Lowry, negative 0.4 points per 100 possessions was the Raptors' differential. When you look at 2015-2016, it was the same thing. So like to see him now, regardless of the units he's facing, like go... The, more on his own and and it just be effective and you combine that with what he's kind of been able to do from three-point range I wouldn't say it's like this weapon in his arsenal just yet but 37.8 percent um on 3.2 attempts per game like that's really significant and Mm -hmm. I he's still he's hitting them off the catch I think he's close to 43 percent on those for me one of the things just looking at him it almost looks like he's more comfortable pulling up now too his shooting percentage isn't quite there yet he's under 30 percent on pull-up threes but they they also for some reason just don't seem like these last resort late shot clock looks for him anymore either and over his last 10 games he's at 33.3 percent on pull-up threes which account for almost 10 percent of his shots like that's not a bad place to be for DeMar DeRozan and to put a bow on this you factor in everything else you just said. Like they're incredibly deep. They have the second highest net rating in the league since we did our quarter poll grades. Fourteen and four, top notch offense, top notch defense, and they're so deep. And it's part. It's that depth, by the way, that's part of the reason why Demar uh, Demar Derozan ends up as small forwards in certain lineups because you have Fred Van Fleet, you have Dellen Wright. Like you can play one or both of them with Kyle Lowry if you really want to. And their bench has a top ten net rating since the quarter pro grades as well. They're, they're just fantastic. It's going to be it's gonna be interesting to see how much Coach of the Year love Dwayne Casey might get. I know there are probably more. There are, Other candidates are going to win. Like Maybe it's Greg Popovich. It'll probably be Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens, but, yeah. But Dwayne Casey's going to deserve like some love for this, and the continuity speaks to it, but the Raptors have changed a lot of their identity. They've reworked their shot profile, and, and he's at least a, a part of that. Yeah, embracing pace and space has been – Huge for them, I think. Um, all right, so we both gave them an A+. Plus. Which which team are you jumping to next? I think maybe we should just throw it to the Chicago Bulls, who've had something of like a – I don't even know what, what you would call it. It's not a resurgence because they, they weren't supposed to be good. But Nicole Miritich return, return has done like great things for them, at least aesthetically. And beyond that, I – I look at Chris Dunn. He's having a great year. Laurie Markkinen, he hit like a rookie wall for a while, but you were talking about this before the podcast, the way they use him. uh, It it seems to be like, uh, I don't want to say super important, but they're using him just intelligibly. They're moving him around. He's getting some threes off. The offense still isn't great when he's on the floor, but again, he's a rookie, and to kind of see him make strides is is important to the rebuild. They're going to get Zach Levine back. They're 12-7 and since the quarter pole grades. Uh, it's just like even looking at like sometimes the way David Nwaba is playing or, you know, the random performances that you've been able to get uh, this season from 
Denzel Valentine, who's shooting above 40% from three. And then, yeah, you know what? Nikola Mirotic is a part of this. I don't care that he's played under 20 games. Like, he's close, and he's at over 17 points, seven rebounds, hitting 46.5% of his threes. The Bulls are just offensive juggernauts when he's on the floor. A big part of why I won't go higher for them, and I, I gave them a B-. minus. This is up from a C- minus last time. They probably should be higher when you look relative to expectations. Like, they were one of the two or three teams you look at on paper and say, wow, they're built to be the worst squad in the league. I want to see, like, how does the front office react to this stuff? Like, what's going to look... What's it going to look like when Zach Levine comes back? Are they going to be able to push Chris Dunn's development a little further? Are they going to be smart enough to get a good haul for Nikola Mirotic on the trade market? Those are just some questions I still have. Otherwise, I could just, given their recent 19-20 game hot streak, I, I could easily go towards a B with them. So I went with a C for the Bulls. Um... Hater. <laughs> so my reasoning is it's, you know, I'm looking at this as like an entire season thing, and I, I still can't get over the fact that they traded Jordan Bell, who <laughs> is the leader among rookies in, in every advanced stat you can dig up, basically. Um, and he would have been great on this team, I think. They traded him for cash so they could buy out Derrick Rose so he could go play for the Cavs. That, that's not great. Um, the Nikola Miritich Bobby Portis incident, not great, especially when you see how well Miritich has played since he came back. Uh, it would have been nice to have him for the whole season. But then again, maybe not, because that, that might have messed up their draft pick. Um, they've also come back to earth a little bit. They're they're two and five in their last seven. Um, I think they were riding a ton of momentum on on Nikola Miritich's return. I think they're back to being a little bit closer to what they are. I still gave them a passing grade though, because like you said, if I had looked at this roster before the season started, I would have thought that's a that's a surefire contender for worst team in the league. And while they they probably still are a contender for that, I, I think they have been a little bit better than I expected. Um, Laurie Markinen has been uh, a great surprise to me. I, I didn't think he'd be bad. I just didn't think he'd be this effective this quickly. Um, Kelly Scaletta tweeted out a stat. I think this was just yesterday. Yeah. Um. The most threes made by a seven-foot rookie is 100 by Andrea Bargnani. Markinen already has 94, which is 13 more than Porzingis had his rookie season. So I, I love the way they're using Markinen. Just let that guy catch and shoot from anywhere. I've, I've seen a bunch of highlights of him taking shots from like five feet behind the line, and I couldn't be more happy about that. I, I love when uh, teams embrace shooting big men. So that's good. You mentioned Chris Dunn. He's been... He's been much better than I thought he would be. I think Denzel Valentine's quietly had a pretty good season. So there are definitely some positive signs. Um, but overall, just sort of the issues with the front office that have been there for a while, plus the fact that they are still um, – I better get their record right. They are still 15 and 27. So uh, I'm, I'm going to give them a C. Lori Markinen's last eight games, Andy, he is slashing 52.8, 49.2, and 94.7 at the foul line. 20.3 points per game, 8.5 rebounds. That's just like... Seems like that slump is over. Wow. Right. And it's, it's in over 30 minutes per game, too. So, like, that's just... That's absolutely absurd. Like, it's, it's yeah. just nuts. So, I mean, you know, and if Chris Dunn's going to be good... Did you see that, him dunk on Cantor the other day, too? Yeah, that was really funny. I like how people are like remembering now how Enos Cantor isn't that great either, which is fantastic. Um, 
the but the marketing thing. So you look at his performance and Dunn's performance, and then now you're gonna have Levine coming back. Do you think there's a chance that a year from now, maybe we'll look back and say, "Wow, maybe that Jimmy Butler trade wasn't so awful as it appeared." Um. Yeah, I think there's a chance. Uh, I, I still think it's gonna be a pretty clear win for the, Timber for the Timberwolves. Wolves. I think it'll be. Uh, I mean, it's already a different call with the Pacers trade than we thought over the summer. But yeah, I think uh, marketing for sure is, is somebody looks like could be a really important piece of a team moving forward. So yeah, it's, it already looks maybe a little bit better than I thought it would initially. It probably does. But I think what really kills them was the pick swap. The pick swap was bad. Yeah. So that like, that's always going to look bad no matter how good um, marketing is. So that that's probably what holds them back. But it's interesting now because now it's, you know, Zach Levine is supposed to be the sure thing of this trade, and he's the only one who's yet to play, and you've gotten fairly good returns um, from, every, from like, everyone else involved. So that's... Yeah, that's true. That's pleasant for them, is all I'm saying. They, I don't for think sure. they'll ever end up winners as that trade, not in the same vein as we could say about the Pacers and Paul George, but uh, it, it might just not be a truly terrible deal, maybe, if they're lucky. Yeah, maybe we're going to have to start evaluating trades a little bit later. That'll never happen, though. <laughs> no, we won't. I say that all the time, and then I'm always like, that's what you got for Paul George? And yeah, <laughs> there's no way to avoid it. Um, I'm going to go to the team that was maybe the most difficult for me to grade. I, I'm still not confident in this grade that I gave the Detroit Pistons, um, but I gave them a B-, and... So here's what I'm here's my argument. Oh, this boy. is a team that went 37 and 45 last year, and they're not significantly different roster wise. Um, Avery Bradley was a big change, obviously, for instead of KCP, but he hasn't even been playing lately anyway. Uh, and maybe we should. Avery Bradley hasn't been great for them either, so maybe that should factor into the grade too. But this is a team that's now uh, they're over 500, which is you know obviously different than they were last year. I think they're firmly in the playoff hunt. They're they're tied for six with the Bucks right now. Um, I I really am impressed with the way that they have completely altered Andre Drummond's game, turning him into a legit passing big man. Something I never ever could have imagined. Uh, he just had his third 20 point, 20 rebound, five assist game of the season the other night. Uh, the only other player in the league to do that even once is DeMarcus Cousins. He's actually done it three times too. But those are the only two players in the league with 2025 games. Um, I think Tobias Harris has been really good. I, I, I like Luke Kennard. I think he's shown a little bit of life here lately. Um, there's still plenty of issues to work out. I, I don't think they've quite figured out uh, Stanley Johnson. Um, I think Reggie Jackson... I think a lot of his issues this season could probably be chalked up to health, but there's still some issues there. Um, anyway, long story short, this was a tough one for me to peg, but I just feel like they are certainly better than they were last season, and I think they've unlocked a new level in their best player, Andre Drummond. So I'm going to go ahead and give him a B-. minus. So for some reason, that, that feels a little bit generous to me. I gave him a C. It almost feels generous to me, too. So. The, the Andre Drummond <laughs> stuff is valid. Uh, they are dealing with Reggie Jackson's absence right now, but their inability to kind of have this, like, any sort of identity. That, like, what is what is the Pistons' identity right now? Uh, like, if you, like, you know, where they, they're not a great defensive team, they're not a great 
offensive team. I, I don't I, I don't know what they are. Luke Kennard has been impressive and, and they've been destroying what I would really like to see more of. And, you know, it's probably limited with the amount of time that Bullock is playing or because you have to have uh, Avery Bradley on the floor. Uh, they've just been fire when Tobias Harris and Luke Kennard play together. They're uh, 234 minutes, though, that duo, plus 21.4 points per 100 possessions. Like, that's that's a pretty substantial sample size to have that. And so I've been impressed yeah. with Luke Kennard, too. He, he looks like he's going to be better defensively than a lot of people um, kind of gave him credit for leading into the draft. But if you look at this team, and yes, their lineups are kind of all over the place because of different injuries, including Stanley Johnson's had some stuff. Each of their six most used lineups have a negative net rating. Like, that's a problem for a team that's below 500. I just don't, I don't see, and I don't see their path towards being anything more than than what they really are right now, which might be, like mediocre or, or slightly worse than that. They've been probably linked to the trade rumor mill as much as any team in the league right now. But but who are you giving up? Where where are you going with this? Like what can you get for Stanley Johnson? Should you be Do you Do you think Miritich helps them? Because that's that's one player they've been attached to. It'd be interesting to see him, but I guess you're bringing him off the bench. I, like how... I like Harris better at the four for that. Yeah, but I mean he's been Harris has been absolute flames offensively at the at the four this year. So I don't. He like you could bring him off the bench, but he's not. If you start him and move Harris to the three, I, I feel like that almost that's probably a lateral move. Yeah, I don't best. love that either. Um, I and the Avery Bradley stuff is is definitely a concern that they they have to figure out somehow, and I don't really know how you go about doing that. His we've talked about his defensive reputation before, uh, but they're like demonstratively worse defensively when he's on the floor, and he's not doing anything uh, to help their offense at this point. I he's one of the names that I feel like should be cropping up in the rumor mill more. Like he's on an expiring contract. What could you maybe get if you pair him with one of your? I wouldn't give up Canard at this point. I'd give up Stanley Johnson. So what do you do if you pair those two together? Can you get perhaps an impact player, someone who's better than Nikola Mirotic, maybe another wing? And I, I I don't know who that is right off the bat, but those are probably moves they need to be looking at. And it's just I. I struggle to see, like, it seems that Langston Galloway falls in a different spot in the pecking order by the game, even though sometimes he's been good, sometimes he's been really bad. Um, they, you know what's funny is they always play better with him on the floor, too, just right. statistically. He has, like, doesn't he have their highest net rating on the team, where it's the second highest net rating? It was the, the last time I checked. Yeah, so Dwight but Bukes, it, who's been good, too, like, and that's just another, he has the highest net rating, but he's only played in eight games, and Langston Galloway has the highest net rating on the team. It's just... I, I don't know what to make of the Pistons, and the only thing I believe you can say without a shadow of a doubt is that Andre Drummond is just so much better off uh, than he was last season, and, and that's, a, that's a big deal, but at the same time, even though it's been different over the last 10 games or so, like their defense is still worse with him on the floor overall for the season. That's been, again, different over the last few games, but, but that's a struggling trend too, and I think until they kind of have this clear-cut identity I, I just I don't know what like kind of faith to put in them and I, I gave them a C because I feel like one I was really high on them the first time we did this and two with some of the talent they have you look at Drummond when Jackson was healthy when you look at what Tobias Harris has done offensively when you look at how Luke Kennard has played uh, by and by I just feel like they should be better than they are and that's totally fair like I said I'm I'm that's a grade that I'm definitely not comfortable with. I think that was the hardest team for me in the whole conference. 
Um, since it's back to me, I'm going to say let's go to the Orlando Magic. Uh, okay. I gave them a D, and that is that is down from a C-plus last time. And just as a reminder, we are doing these grades as the aggregate for the season, but I'm just providing a look back at what we uh, gave them the first time around. They have been, since our quarter poll grades, Andy, 1-15. and 15. Ooh-wee. 1-15. and 15. <laughs> um, Aaron Gordon still looks at their defense is still not as bad as Cleveland's though during that stretch. So that that's just something. You know, oh, but, um, Save that for later. Holy cow! Um, Aaron Gordon has still been good um, when he's not being late to the team plane and all that stuff. But I just I don't know what to make of the rest of the team. Alfred Payton has had these um, fairly good outings recently and. The offense has been a lot better with him on the floor, and it's almost problematic that this is where we're at with them because two of your standout players on a bad team are going to be restricted free agents this summer. Like, that's not, you know... The, and the defense has been really bad with uh, pretty much all their key players on the floor. Alfred Payton is, is very inattentive. Uh, they're giving up 114.1 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. Aaron Gordon, he there are nights he looks switchy, he looks like he might be a rim protector, but then at the same time, he's neither one. And he doesn't have a defensive ipsity, which seems problematic for them, too. Um, they have Injuries have not been kind to them in, in the slightest, so, so that's something that's fair to bring up. I don't—I'm still, like, even when you factor in Jonathan Isaac having barely played this year because of injuries, you, you've lost Terrence Ross, you lost Vucevic— I just the, the magic are bad. They don't, and they're not supposed to be this bad. And they should certainly be more than a bottom five team on both offense and defense. And I don't say that just because they began the season eight and four. It's just be, because we should be able to look at them. And you have Aaron Gordon, and you have Alfred Payton, and you have Evan Fournier has been playing his mind out when he's healthy. Jonathan Simmons hasn't been bad for this team either. They, they should just be better. And I'm not sure. You know, is Frank Vogel at fault? Are they just, they've played a little bit faster this year, but are they playing fast enough? They're still not shooting the ideal number of threes. I just, I watch them and I don't see a path toward improvement either internally or you look at the trade deadline. I don't even know if they can bottom out further. Like, what are you going to get for Evan Fournier on the, with the deal that he's on? Biombo's a movable. Vucevic is probably a movable now because he's injured. The, the same deal with Terrence Ross. So that they're in a really tough spot. And I never thought I would remain super high on them or even necessarily like view them as a as a C plus team as we did initially. But I, I feel like their downturn has been has been more stark than their situation warrants. I would agree. Um, I gave them a D plus. I, I didn't realize they were one in fifteen in their last sixteen. That's even worse than I thought. But they do have the second worst record in the league right now. Um, I, the the hot shooting at the start of the season. I think they had an eight and four start. I don't think any of us thought it's going to be sustainable at this level. Like they had four or five guys shooting over forty percent. Right. I think the only guy they have still shooting over forty percent is DJ Augustine, and he wasn't among that group in the early start. Actually, the um, only guy they have shooting over forty percent is Adrian Payne. Oh, so that's even changed since the last time I checked. Yeah, uh, Augustine has dropped to thirty-nine point one. They still have like Gordon Payton. At, They're all high thirties. Yeah, seems thirty-seven like. or more is Gordon Payton, Augustine, and Fournier. But that shows you how much of a difference threes can make when you have four or five guys drop four or five percent. It can it can right. really crater an offense. Um, but I do still feel like in that eight and four start, like um, 
unsustainable shooting notwithstanding. There were some signs that were like, okay, this talent is starting to come together a little bit. Aaron Gordon is playing the right position. Vucevic looks good defensively. I mean, everything just kind of seemed to be clicking initially. And I'm, I'm not exactly sure why it just all completely came crashing down. I don't, I don't think it's completely the loss of Jonathan Isaac, but that's like the one, <laughs> that's like the one significant thing you can point to is him leaving the rotation. Obviously I think there's, there's more to it than that. Um, but I, the, the, what I'm saying is the reason I gave him a D plus is just from that opening 12 games, I feel like they should be better than the second worst team in the league. And so that's, that's why I'm going with the D plus for them. They need they better hit on this draft pick too. Yeah, that, that would help. Them. Like they've just been they have not been for a team that's consistently since the Dwight Howard trade basically drafted like the top five or better. They just they don't have enough to show for it. Even Aaron Gordon, like what is yeah, he... he's good, but is he like a superstar? Jonathan Isaac looks good, but you can't say he's a superstar either. So it's yeah, you're definitely right. Um, I am gonna go. To the 76ers. Another so tough one. are 19 and 20 right now. Yes, Correct. they are. They're 19 and 20. Um, I gave them a C plus. I, I thought at this point of the year they would be better than 19 and 20. The reason I'm still giving them a C plus is I think their top three guys or top, top four guys, when they're together, that team is still really good. Um, and I think after four years of tanking, we probably should have expected it to take a little bit longer to sort of shore up the bench. Um, this is a team that prior to this season won 28 games, 10 games, 18 games, and 19 games. Um, and 34 the year before that. They, they had five straight sub-500 seasons and like three historically bad seasons. Um so maybe we were just a little bit optimistic with them this season. The main guys are still a lot of the main guys that were there last year. They just didn't play. Um, ben Simmons and, and Joel Embiid and Robert Covington. So maybe I was a little hasty to think they would be like a surefire playoff lock. And if I had to pick today, I would still pick them to get into the playoffs. I just feel like the talent at the top is enough to – make a run and get in eventually. So that's why I'm giving them slightly, you know, above average. I, I still gave them a soup plus, but like I said, I, I did think they would be better. Um, I just feel like I was a little bit overzealous with my preseason projections on them. Yeah. I gave them a B minus just because for pretty much everything you just said is we have to remember where they were just a year ago. And they're just, they're still working from a position of disadvantage because they're so shallow. Like yeah. their their bench is just is bad and it has no offense. They're twenty eighth uh, in second unit offensive rating. That's in front of only the Magic and the Charlotte Hornets, which is not a surprise there. Um, so like that's tough. And as you said about them being top heavy, like it, nothing it, nothing could be more true. If you look at um, their four man combinations, they're what is it? It's their five most used ones are outscoring opponents by at least 10 points per 100 possessions. At wow. least. And then it starts to just fall off from there. And and they've been absolute money when Redick and Bede and Simmons and Covington are on the floor together. And even more important is the Embiid-Simmons-Covington um, pairing there. So they have, like, the, the crux of something really good, but they, they need to 
like flesh it out. And they're going to face something interesting because as you lead into the trade deadline, we know that they want to preserve cap space for this summer. We also know that they shouldn't panic because Markel Fultz is still, you know, he's only four games into his career now. Although the picture shot yeah. form might make you want to panic. That's a, that's absolutely fair. It's like a Joakim <laughs> Noah Kevin Martin hybrid now. That it like I don't that's know what it actually what looks like. Is happening there, but go ahead. And you know, I was talking about this on Twitter too. People are saying that the general public, I guess, is overreacting to these things, and we shouldn't be so quick to um, judge someone who's played four games and under a hundred minutes for his career. And I get that part of it, but like Philly doesn't help itself with zero transparency because this went from oh, Markel Fultz is playing through this and it's fine to Markel Fultz is going to be out for six weeks. Oh, to now we're more than halfway through the season, and we're just never going to provide updates on like when he comes back. So that just leaves people free to speculate. And if you're not going to explain what happened, I would say a that drastic that... drastic overhaul of someone's shooting form at that age is um, that's a pretty big deal too. I think. Yeah, um, yeah, but overall in the Sixers, like they're still they can be a rocky offensive team. Like Joel Embiid goes through these cold spurts, and he has not been shooting. Um, the three ball well this season, although the Sixers are mostly fantastic when he's on the floor offensively. He has their highest offensive rating. But it's like you look at it, Embiid, Reddick, Covington, Simmons, and then Sarek, who I go back and forth with him on whether I like him or not. I'm not going to lie, and I feel like a lot of the stuff he's I'm done, mostly back. <laughs> yeah, um, and I feel like a lot of the stuff that he does for them is kind of being the benefactor uh, from playing with Simmons and Embiid. But that's fine. And after you move past those five guys, it's just, what do you have? Who, who's your best player after those five guys? Is it Rashawn Holmes? That's probably fair. TJ. TJ McConnell. Yeah, like, and that's, <laughs> you know, that's that's fine. But TJ McConnell isn't going to lead. He's it. fine if he's like your ninth man. Right. I mean, the fact that he's shooting 40% from three on basically no attempts, but still, uh, that's, you know, it's a boon for them. And he's shooting, he's like shooting 55% on twos this year. So he's sort of a. He's a, He's a really guy. good backup point guard. Yeah, but he, you don't you don't have the weaponry to have him run units on his own, though. And, and that's kind of the problem for them. And I wonder, so as we get closer to the trade deadline, are you going to take the stance of remaining idle or maybe you look to kind of get off Jared Bayless's contract to increase your cap space? Or is it worth it for them to become like miniature buyers? They're still going to have cap space this summer if they take on some money. It's just that it'll be harder for them to get in the LeBron conversation. And if they really want to get in the LeBron conversation, they still could. And I don't think you can necessarily, as as a team like Philly, that's still young and, and inexperienced, like I don't think you can hedge your bets on LeBron's free agency. And this isn't the summer to go all in on free agency when you look at the crop of free agents and then in turn look at the ones uh, who are available that might actually leave. So are you willing to give up? If you give up your own first rounder and salary filler this year, like you might be able to get like a, like a nice little wing. Or maybe you Lou, go after Lou, Lou Williams. Williams. Yeah, That's who I so, want. Yeah. A swingman like him, and that'll help your offense um, as you get to it. It might be worth it to go that route. And I'm interested to see how they kind of react towards the trade deadline because this, this seems like it should be a better team than it is, but they almost they still feel one, probably two more guys short outside of their – core four, core five for, for them to be like any kind of threat in the Eastern Conference. Lou Williams on the Sixers has been a dream of mine for a couple of weeks now. It's a very old dream, obviously. Um, It'd probably be weeks. super it's... hard to get him now because like his I know that's... cost you TLC and a pick because that's probably not something you should do. The Clippers are suddenly like back in playoff contention. I would probably be, I would probably do TLC and a pick for him. I know you're a lot higher on him than I am, but... 
Um, it's just the expiring contract of Lou Williams. I, you have his bird rights, but he's also he's 31. I know, but if you like you just said, you're preserving cap space for next summer anyway. Also fair. And um, man, that bet like he would be such an instant huge upgrade to that bench. I mean, he's he's probably one of the like ten best pure scorers in the league right now. Is that crazy to say? No, he's uh, he's just been like absolutely absurd. That is just absolutely absurd. Yeah, I I mean I can't believe what he's doing. I lately maybe I should because he's kind of been doing it for two or three years now. But um, if he's suddenly like your first guy off the bench, I, I and and pair him with the kickouts of Simmons, I I think they would be ridiculous. But we're going off into like a much different conversation now they uh, it's it's almost ahead. just like we can't expect them to be too much higher than they are because they don't have the depth to get there it's just yeah. it's pretty much at um right, to you i'm gonna go with the indiana pacers uh gave them a b plus at the quarter poll and i think they've basically held steady there so i'm, I'm gonna go um with the b they're seven and nine since we did the quarter poll grades which is which isn't great uh, still, their offense has dropped off a little bit, but it's top 10 during that stretch, and it still ranks 8th um, in points scored per 100 possessions for the season. Their defense has definitely been um, troubling, to say the least. Uh, I do feel confident, though, in saying that I was wrong about Victor Oladipo's hot start to the season. Even though he's kind of cooled off in in certain points, he's just still this reliable scorer, should probably be... Um, an all-star the shots he's taking are are just absolutely insane Uh, over the last 12 games which is as many appearances as he's made since the quarter pole grades he's averaging 27.3 points 5.5 rebounds 4.5 assists slashing 50.2 37 and then 78.8 at the charity stripe while getting there 6.7 times a game which is that's pretty good considering that the Pacers themselves attempt about 20 free throws a night, and you're getting seven of them from one guy. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a pretty big deal. Uh, there's still there's stuff to like about this team. Uh, Demantis Sabonis has still been solid for them. I will always die on Thaddeus Young Hill, uh, just because he's he seems he seems like, so steady. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the exact word uh, I was going to use. Um, Miles Turner, I, I know that he's like kind of been up and down all year, and people have kind of soured on him. Uh, they do have some interesting situations in the front court. Like, can you play him and Zabonis together long term? And then what does that do for Young if he hops in for next year? But I'm still a Miles Turner fan, even though his three point percentage hasn't really climbed, and even though he's not, they, they like don't apparently view him, I guess, as a like even close to a focal point of the offense anymore. Like you have some bonus with a higher usage rate um, than Miles Turner. Still, the Pacers, they're a solid team, even when you account for the small drop-off that they've had. It looks like, are you comfortable? I'm not comfortable saying they're very clearly a playoff team, and, and that's a little bit why I feel uneasy giving them their B. At the same time, I didn't think they were even going to come close to making the playoffs. So if they eventually see ground at the eighth spot to Philly, I, I'm still comfortable like when you look at I, that's probably not best for their future. Uh, you'd rather see them bottom out and not have this late lottery, uh, late after lottery pick, or wind up with, uh, excuse me, late end of lottery pick, or even just wind up with the eighth seed only to get uh, destroyed by the Boston Celtics or the Toronto Raptors even in the first round. Still, considering how bad we expected them to be, and mostly just considering how good Victor Oladipo is, a B feels fair for them. Yeah, I gave him a B plus two. It, like 
just about everyone else in the basketball world, I thought they just got steamrolled in the Paul George trade. Um, I don't know if I could have been more wrong about that. Like you, I thought they were going to be near the bottom of the East uh, all season long. Um, I think I said in our season previews that maybe they'd surprise some people, but I didn't think they would be like, I I wasn't sure they'd be in playoff contention at this point in the season. I'll I'll just put it that way. Um, Have you checked real plus minus lately? Um, Actually, yes, because I've needed to link out to it for something I was working on. Uh, Oladipo is currently fifth in the NBA in real plus minus. Just absurd. Trails only Harden, Curry, LeBron, and Westbrook. Um, and he's just ahead of Antetokounmpo, Cousins, Jokic, Covington, Jimmy Butler. He has been uh, unbelievable this season. Uh, and, and I think the B-plus largely is, is on his shoulders because he's just been, like you said a couple times, unreal this season. Um, the shots he's hitting, too. He's forty. He's forty. He's attempting three pull-up three-pointers per game. He's at forty-one point three percent on pull-up three. <laughs> and uh, and people like are closing out on him. They have hands in his face, and he's hitting these shots. It's it's crazy. Um, did you hear his uh, podcast with Woj like a week or two ago? Maybe I did not. It was pretty good. He uh, he talked about seeing Westbrook last year and just how relentless he was in working on his game and like during games and everything. And it. He said it really sort of changed his outlook on basketball, and he just worked like a maniac this summer to get better, and it's obviously translated into his numbers this season because he's just been unreal. Um, I think Demonis Sabonis, like you said, he's better than I thought he'd be this season. Um, Thad Young, steady. We already said that. I, I, I like their roster. I think Darren Collison's pretty, pretty good. Like you, I wouldn't be – like I wouldn't – be confident taking them to make the playoffs. I also wouldn't be surprised at this point just because, like I said, Oladipo's been so, so good. So I think just based on vastly exceeding uh, my expectations and I think just about everybody else's expectations, I went with a B-plus for them. What are they? What should they do at the trade deadline, though? Is it just – they definitely should not be buyers. I'll make that clear. But you have these, you have these interesting contracts when you look at um, – the non-guarantees of Bojan Bogdanovic, Darren Collison, and Al Jefferson for next season, like those could be valuable uh, to certain teams. Like the, the Collison deal, he's owed $10 million next year, only two of it's guaranteed. Uh, for Bojan Bogdanovic, he's owed $10.5 million for next season, $1.5 million of it is guaranteed. And I believe Al Jefferson is $3 million guaranteed, or excuse me, $4 million on his $10 million. Those are some interesting trade chips. Do I, any of those guys net like better than a second rounder, though? If they're if you're gonna give a team, I'm saying you could take in theory take back like a un, I don't want to oh, say an okay. unsavory salary, saying. but like you could use yeah. it to get an impact player. I would be against it uh, because it does it sets your rebuild back a little bit. Because what are you doing then? Like just fighting to stay mediocre at that point. But it is like they have some interesting options at, at their disposal, and it's like you said, they don't you know. If you have Corey Joseph and he has a player option for next year, it'll be interesting to see whether he opts in or out of that. He's not shooting the ball well from three-point range necessarily this year, at least not compared to the other guys on his team. But like he, he's kind of been a steadying force for them. You could someone's going to want Darren Collison. Like so, he absolutely, yeah. Would absolutely those names want. you named would they, they'd be solid pieces off a lot of teams' benches for sure. Yeah, I mean, da- so Darren Collison since the quarter pull grades, by the way, fifty-nine percent from three. Oh wow. Yeah, two point six points, 
uh, 2.6 attempts per game, but still, like that's just so like they have those pieces, and it would be it'd be interesting to explore. I don't know the name that would really crop up. Like you could, if the Magic were really trying to slough off salary, like that, you could build an interesting package from the Pacers for Evan Fournier, maybe like Bowen and Al Jefferson, just to get those non guarantees. I don't know would that makes sense for the Pacers though, because you already have old like, but they could make a move. You'd move move like, Oladipo to the one. Yeah, or use Evan Fournier as the three. Yeah, so yeah. it's just um, just because Fournier is not going to give you much defensively. Anyway, it's just they, they're in an interesting spot because I think they really want to make the playoffs, um, if only because, I'm, one, making the playoffs is big in a market like that, but two, it kind of in a way validates what they did with the Paul George stuff. So uh, I don't really know. They've just been they've been more fun to watch on offense than I would, ex- than I would expect, and I say that, yes, they're a top-10 offensive team, but, like, they don't take – they get out in transition more than a lot of other teams. And, yes, they're shooting the three ball at a high rate, but their their shot profile is is not the best. Like, they, they're in the bottom seven of shots that come at the rim and from beyond the arc combined. They take a ton of long twos, and they're just – they're going in. Like, the, the pop-outs from DeMantis Sabonis work. They've still had some success with the dribble handoffs when you watch them. I like watching the Indiana Pacers, which is not something I thought I'd say in January of this year following that Paul George trade. And the other thing, too, if they do make the playoffs with that eighth seed I, – it feels like we do this every year with the East um, – but it's not as much of a wash as the eighth seed playing the Warriors in right. the Western Conference. And, I mean, I would still obviously pick the Celtics for the Raptors to win that series. But maybe Indiana can make it interesting for like a week and pump up that fan base. Um, it's, so, it's a- yeah, it's, it's not like a, a foregone conclusion that, yes, you should tank. Um, if you're on, if you're in that sort of fringe area, it's ironic because I think the only opponent you would feel like the opposite about is if it ended up being the Cavs, who are about a zillion miles out of first place at this point, anyway. So. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think they're going to get there either. I just feel like there's too much apathy with Cleveland. Now, one last note on Oladipo. Um, among everyone who's taken 50, at least 50 shots in isolation, there are only five players averaging more points oh excuse me four players averaging more points per possession and the names are they're both surprising and not surprising so are you ready so, hold on it was players scoring more points per iso than victor oladipo yeah minimum 50 shots uh harden yes lou williams no oh man he must have fallen off last night um that was the two I was super confident about. So I guess Lou Williams hasn't taken 50 shots in isolation yet. Is probably what it is. What? I, that's I crazy. Did, yeah, that actually, that actually is. I'll check. I'll double check that in a second. But so it's James Harden, Chris Paul, Zach Randolph, Zach Randolph. Oh, I yeah. Zach, that's Rand- wild. But yeah, Zach Randolph is shooting 56.1 percent. Um, in ISO, and he's attempted 57 shots. Like, and he's had 65. Like, it's just. That's just unreal. And then there's Tyreek Evans, who's, again, having a hell of a year. Um, and I'd be interested. Think about what he could do for a team like Philly if they were able to pick him up. He's, yeah, he's a really interesting um, really interesting guy to keep an eye on as the trade deadline comes up. Yeah, I'll actually probably talk about him when we get to the Cavs. But, uh, so, and then there's Victor Oladipo and Damian Lillard both at 1.09 points per possession. Like, that is just – like, those, that one, it's wild for Oladipo. Um, two, just the names in front of him – are, they're not James Harden is not random. Chris Paul, I guess, isn't random. Um, the fact that he's used so many ISO possessions through twenty three games, though, 
105 ISO possessions. That's pretty shocking. But still, um, then Zach Randolph and Tyreek Evans, I just find that absolutely hysterical. And just as an additive note, Austin Rivers um, is just behind Oladipo. He would rank he, – he's seventh in points per possession in isolation among players who have attempted at least 50 shots. And that's in front of LeBron James for context. You know what's weird? <laughs> that? Yeah, that's crazy for sure. Um NBA.com says Lou Williams has used 70 possessions in ISO, but only taken 48 shots. So I guess those are the rest of those are turnovers? Turnovers, and I don't – do they count passes as finishing? Also, there's free throws as finishing a play. Oh. So it says his free throws for frequency is probably through the roof on those. That's what it's got to be. You're right. But, so, yeah, that's crazy that he's that high on um, isolation. So his – yeah, so his shooting foul frequency um, is at – it's at 20, which seems like it's very high. And if you look at players who have used— It's even higher than Harden's. <laughs> yeah, so if you look at players who have used um, at least 50 possessions, so I've, like, removed the shots, Lou Williams' is uh, shooting foul frequency on ISOs is fourth. Can you guess who is first, unless you're looking at it now? I Yeah, I'm cheating. I, I have it pulled up. Spencer, first is pretty funny. Spencer Dinwiddie is first. <laughs> Shout out he Spencer Dinwiddie. Awesome He's season. spectacular. He yeah. almost cracked— when we were ranking point guards at Bleacher Report, I gave him serious consideration at, like, number 10. It, it would have been blasphemous, but he's been so good. He has been awesome. Um, and, yes, we do need to get him on the podcast because he's responded to the stats thread a couple times. Yeah, you need to get on that. <laughs> Spencer Dimwitty, if you're listening, we would love to have you on the podcast. Yeah, I had a come feature. on so we can praise your amazing season. Or because I, I was writing a feature on you that got completely tabled, and I, I cried a little bit about that the other day. <laughs> Yeah, so we got to make that up for Dan. Was um, that your pick, the Pacers? Yes, it was, and we spent the Pacers okay. turned into a riveting discussion. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to go to the Cavaliers because we talked about them a couple times within that uh, several tangents we had. Um, I gave the Cavs a C plus. I think. Let me see what they're currently 26 and 15. Um, they had a really good stretch in the middle of the season, but the, it, it's been bookended by two like borderline disastrous stretches. Now that's, that might be like a little bit of hyperbole because it seems like we do this with LeBron James teams every single season. We get a little bit worried about how they look in the regular season and then they just roll through the playoffs. It, it seems to happen every year. How many straight finals has he been to now? Like nine? A zillion? Seven, right? This um, will be eight if he gets there. Three with the okay. Cavs, four with the Heat. All I know is I want him to get to ten. But You know what's anyway, crazy is that he might get to ten. But anyway, go I know. On. It's it's wild to think about. Um, that's maybe why he should, he should stay in the East, but that's a, another topic. Um, He's not leaving the East. He would be – that would be, you know, that would just be a Well, part. the Lakers. Anyway, they were really bad to start. And and I think a lot of that can be chalked up to Derrick Rose, and I think that factors into their grade. I don't I don't see how any coach or front office could have thought that it was a good idea to roll him out as your starting point guard this season. Um, I think the recent bad stretch could be chalked up to apathy more than anything. Uh, it's probably not fair to to blame Isaiah Thomas, who just came back, although they've been really bad when he's on the floor. I think their net rating with him on the floor is like minus 14 or something. I just looked it up today. Um, Ironically, I've been encouraged just how he looks while moving, and I don't know if that yeah, holds looks, any weight 
this early. He looks maybe fine, and I don't like I said, I don't think it should. He's only played 84 minutes, so I can't. You can't throw a lot of the blame on him for this recent stretch. They just look disinterested, which is something that, like I said, it seems to happen a lot with with LeBron James teams in the regular season. And I'm sure they'll turn it around at some point, but you would just think that you you want a legitimate title contender to look a little bit better than they have um, at the halfway mark of the season. And LeBron James has been ridiculous. Uh, once again, 27 points, 8.8 assists, 8 rebounds, shooting 56% from the field, 39 from three. Like his numbers just defy explanation year after year after year, especially at this age. But him and Kevin Love are the only two players on the entire team who have box plus minuses above zero. So I, I think there are real question marks for this team um, beyond LeBron James. And, and so that's why I'm going with a C plus. Um, and by doing that, you're more generous than I. I went to a C uh, for the entire season. That's I know they had that hot stretch, and I gave them a B plus for it last time we were going, and I was really high on them when we were talking. I probably overestimated what was happening with their defense at the time, the competition they were playing. They did look more engaged defensively, but it was like a competition thing. They're 29th um, in defensive efficiency overall, and they're 30th when you over their last eight games, um, like since Christmas, when that loss to the Warriors kind of seemed to just – torpedo uh whatever momentum they had one of the other red flags is since uh the quarter pole grades they're being outscored by three points per 100 possessions with lebron on the floor that's been like wonky all year it's that's that's definitely a concern for sure and, and you've seen like some of the bench units like kind of drop off uh Dwayne wade being on the court isn't as effective anymore jr smith has been uh just, bad yeah just absolutely awful um and But, like, the thing with LeBron, too, though, is, like, the defense is not good with him on the floor, and I don't – here's where I land with NBA defense. And, there are, first of all, there are people who study it who are far more uh, – they're smarter than I when it comes to it. So I'm not even, like, trying to, uh, like, simplify this. I don't like it when people just criticize effort. But the Cavs' effort is, is shit. Like, it, it's bad um, on a lot of plays. And on the one hand, they don't have the skill. It doesn't seem to be a good defensive team. Dwayne Wade's been better on that end to me than expected, but he's still not great. Kyle Korver tries his ass off, and he's just he's, it hurts me because he's just he's, not, he's always getting beat still. But he just have you ever watched him? He works so hard, like, and he's I'm, usually like in the right positions. But yeah, he's he's working from a disadvantage for sure. Yeah, but so like two things that stand out to me um, as like the bigger like effort based red flags. Um, Cleveland is, when you look at transition frequency of their opponent, they're 29th, meaning that they have their second highest possessions against them finish, um, in transition. And they, their defense in those situations is just bad. They're allowing 1.11 points per possession in isolation, which is closer to middle of the rung than not, but that, but that a team is getting out in transition so frequently on them. Uh, is just not good. And they give up more wide-open three-point makes than any team in the league, uh, just in front of the Denver yeah, Nuggets. So it's just like something has to give, and we saw LeBron James kind of get fed up the other uh, – not the other night, but it was on Thursday night when they were losing to the Raptors. Like th- some, something needs to give for them. and I, I feel like they might need a shake-up. Yeah, and so I've been a proponent of them. and But some of it, it's funny, like maybe it will get – like you can tell when they're 
I, I don't know. When, when they're locked in, they can be a little bit better. So I'm not going to subscribe to this notion that um, th- that they c- can't be better uh, or that they're going to be great during the playoffs, uh, but they can be a little bit better. Things like, you know, could you maybe try a little bit harder um, after a missed shot? Uh, opponents right now are scoring 1.14 points um, per possession after a missed shot, after the Cavs miss a shot. That ranks as the second highest mark for opponents in the league. So the Cavs rank 29th in defense after a missed shot. That's absolutely horrid. Um, and they're 25th in, def- in points per possession after they commit a turnover. They just don't, I don't know if it's an issue of not caring, but the effort isn't there and neither is the skill. So like, even if the effort's going to be there, like what is your best defensive lineup for the Cavs? It probably has to have LeBron, Tristan Thompson, and Jay Crowder in it. I've been a fan for a while and I finally wrote something about this the other day is that they just need to I, – I don't think they should move the Brooklyn uh, Nets pick, but maybe they can go after, like, a Tyreek Evans from the Grizzlies who, because he's a non-Bird guy, he'll come a little bit cheaper. And if you dangle your own first-round pick and then you're willing to give up um, Ante Zizek is my guy, maybe you can get, like, in, in a different throne. And my deal that I believe I've suggested before on the podcast is – Cavaliers get Tyreek Evans and Jamichael Green after January 14th, and then the Grizzlies get Shumpert Steele, Zizek, Cleveland's 2018 first, and then a 2020 second-round pick from Cleveland via Miami. And that just makes the Cavs a lot more switchable. Evans is not the best defender, but I think he's someone he's going to help. Um, just, he would be a massive yeah. upgrade over J.R. Smith right now. Right. Um, and he's even a guy who sometimes can switch on to point guards, which is going to help if you can't for those times when you don't want to roll out Isaiah Thomas or Jose Calderon or Derrick Rose, and then you don't want LeBron James defending points. I would trust him defending ones way more than any of those guys. Oh, yeah. With the exception of LeBron, of course. But that's actually not saying much. So my point is that I think he can actually be okay in those situations. And then the the other thing for me, Jermichael Green is is huge in that deal. He has not been nearly as good as he was last year, but he's still – like he's just this low-volume – like reliable guy who I think could be a lot more valuable on a good team. He's shooting 37% from three, which, you know, I think that says a lot on the Grizzlies team. Um, he doesn't get to the line a ton, but he's not this high usage player. He can give you some defensive rebounding. And more importantly, like he's switchable. If you like, he can rotate onto some ball handlers in space and pick and roll, but, but he's going to give you more rim, rim uh, protection or deterrence than Kevin Love. Uh, Tristan Thompson has not been great defensively this year either. He could end up being an upgrade over him. So that would be a deal if I were them I'd look to pursue. You're not mortgaging the Nets pick. At the same time, though, you are going all in on the season, which to your point, following this long ramble, is something that seems like they need to do, is they really need to push the bill this season. It seems like the Cavs only respond to a shakeup of some form, and apparently uh, they're due for another one. Yep, I'd be in for that. Back to you. Uh, you pick Cleveland. I'm going to go to – I feel like this shouldn't be as tough. I'm going to go to a team that I feel like I, I still can't figure out, just the Charlotte Hornets. Um, I'm happy Steve Clifford seems like he's coming back to the sidelines, by the way. You know I love I love Steve Clifford. Yeah. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets are bad. I, yeah. I, I don't know if that's news to you, but they're just – they're still not good. They're 6-10 since the quarter pole grades. Uh, they still have not figured out – things uh, offensively in the slightest. They've been a little bit better overall, uh, but like that's because some teams have just been worse when you look at the rankings. Their defense is like, okay, it's 12th since the quarter pole, but they're just, I, I still can't fathom how bad they are um, 
when Kemba Walker is off the floor. And I, I say this, when you look at their roster, no, it doesn't look like they should necessarily be good without him. And injuries have not necessarily been kind to them this year. It's just you have guys like Jeremy Lamb. You you have guys like Nicholas Batum. You have these other ball handlers. I'm not going to throw Michael Carter-Williams in there. That The, the differential is just I would I would say inexcusable is fair. No, when you look at so like when yeah, it's when, like falling off a cliff when he leaves the floor. Yeah, so it's just I I don't know what what is their end game here, and and that's that's the thing that it comes down to for me is I know that I, it looks like Nicholas Batum he just doesn't necessarily look right, um, and maybe he's still playing through like the the elbow pain that he was talking about at the beginning of the season. But you have no one that you can trust without Kemba on the floor. You're scoring 108.7 points uh, per 100 possessions when Kemba Walker is in the game, which would comfortably rank inside the top seven of the NBA. And then, excuse me, when he falls off, you're scoring 93.6 points per 100 possessions. Like, that's nuts. And it's lower than – it's seven points lower than the NBA's – uh, worst offense, I believe. It uh, the Sacramento Kings. So it's about seven points lower than that. So I'm just that's what I keep coming back to for them, and their inability to kind of regain that defensive identity that they've long had is problematic as well. And then I my grade why I went lower than last time. I think when you factor in Steve Clifford's absence, when you do look at how bad that they've been without Kemba, it's it's kind of shocking that. You know, you can look at them and say, hey, they're only five games out of the East playoffs. Uh, they've yet to show signs of we're going to sell and pivot into a rebuild. Like Kemba Walker needs to be on the trading block right now, even if just as like a test out to see what you can get for him when he has more than a year left on his deal because he's going to be a free agent after next season. And I kind of judge them for that. They don't have the assets to be buyers. Like Nicholas Batum, you probably have to include a sweetener to get rid of at this point. Marvin Williams, you could probably trade on his own. Kid Gilchrist, you could probably trade on his own. But you're not going to get anything substantial for either of those guys. And you're not going to be able to trade Dwight Howard, most likely. So I just, I'm curious to know, like, where they're at. Like, they're just going to be content, like, with this mid-lottery pick this year and then continue to try and move forward without cap space. I'm I'm just, I'm not a fan of it. And, you know, the red flag should be, um, since the quarter pull grades, like Kemba Walker has struggled from the field overall, even though he's had uh, better outings recently. Like he's shooting under 33% from three over his last 16 appearances, under 42% um, from the field. And yet, because he's so important to what they do offensively, they remain a net plus when he's on the floor. So it's just, you can't be that dependent on one guy and right now and then just have no cap space to look forward to is basically where I'm at. And I just want to remind everyone that Kemba's been better over his last 10 games, the shooting percentages of rebounding. But my, the crux of my point is you're still so reliant on one guy and you have no cap space coming and no trade assets. Like, you need to become sellers. I'm with you. I gave him a D. Um, I think it would be super interesting to see what they could get for Kimball Walker. Denver was a really interesting spot for him to me, although Jamal Murray's been a lot better recently so I'm I've cooled off on that a little bit um was it I think it might have been you who had him going to the Knicks in a Bleacher Report article recently is that right no or was that, that Adam that must have been I didn't actually or maybe even Grant that. I saw on Dunked On they talked about that um about Kemba to the Knicks which would be 
it'd be interesting, but like if I'm just from the Knicks perspective, like they should not be trading Frank Nealakina for that's, a twenty eight yeah. year old Kemba Walker. But I think yeah. it was Grant Hughes who had that, and I think Frank was a part of the deal. But yeah, there are some interesting avenues to explore there. I think Charlotte probably more than any other team in the league defied the work that I did this off season. Uh, one of the things I did was I took the wins above replacement projections from 538 and I took the top 10 players from every team and I combined them. And by that Charlotte was supposed to be the second best team in the Eastern conference, um, which they are obviously not even close to. And like you said, injuries haven't helped. Cody Zeller's missed a bunch of time. Um, I think MKG's missed some time, Batum has missed some time. But even when everybody's together, once once you break up the starting five, or really like Jeremy Lamb with four starters, things just really fall apart. And I I could not have seen that coming. Um, I, they're they're just a lot worse than I thought they would be. I, I I didn't think they'd necessarily be the second best team in the East, but I did think that they would probably be comfortable like sixth or seventh, certainly competing. For a playoff spot, and they are—they are not that. I know they're only five games back of eighth place right now, but just based so on everything, I, I was going to say, based on everything we've seen, I, I don't think they can make up that distance. I think leapfrogging Philadelphia, and, and let's see who else is in front of them. Um, the Knicks, yeah, Philadelphia, the Knicks. I—I I, I just don't think they're going to get there. Um, so yeah, I went with the D for them too, and I, like you said, I think it'd be super interesting if they explored some possibilities in terms of a rebuild and whether or not they've started that, I don't know, but it's, they certainly have to at least check at this point because with, with what they have right now, um, you know, even if everything was firing on on all cylinders, this isn't a team that's going to come close to competing for a title. So you might as well see what you can get for these, these guys that have value now and just sort of move forward in a different direction. The bare minimum that they should try to be do aggressively. Uh, I get the pull to keep Kemba. He, he's really so good. And when you look, there's like no clear. And he's been like the franchise for a few years right. now. So that's and, always hard. And there's just, there's no clear suitor for him now that the Nuggets seem like they really need a wing. Like who's going to go all in for Kemba Walker? Like the rebuilding teams, like let's say the Knicks, like and having a 27 year old Kemba Walker, he turns 28 in May. Like yeah, that that that's a bonus, but you're not going to give up for, or you should, I should say, a team like the Knicks in the position you're in shouldn't be giving up your top trade chip for someone like Kemba when he's going to be a free agent in 2019. Then at the same time, like there aren't all these other teams that have these starting point. Yeah, guards there's there's so many teams that already have a point guard. So so what they should be doing is trying to get rid of Nicholas Batum, and I think he still holds enough intrigue to maybe where you wouldn't have to include this huge sweetener to get him off like would Miami be willing like it seems like he'd be the perfect like guy to send to Miami like that's someone they'd be willing to take a risk on and maybe you're eating a, a, like a not so great deal in return but maybe that deal's shorter maybe that deal's cheaper because Nicholas Batum is just like I, I like the starting lineup with him in it they've been a net plus um per 100 possessions plus 2.5 the offensive rating though 105.8 you sub him out and put in Jeremy Lamb the offensive rating of that starting five of the, well of that five man lineup improves to 114.3 and it's played more than 160 minutes together the defense holds steady and it's a plus 12.1 per 100 possessions that he is so that he's almost become more valuable to he's what he's been you one do. of the bright spots for Charlotte this year for sure 
Right, and Nicholas Batum, meanwhile, like this is the second year in a row that he's setting a career low in effective field goal percentage. Like it's it's a problem. Yeah. He's kind of turnover prone in the pick yeah. and roll. I don't know how much of it is injury related, but if I were them, the bigger thing, if you're not going to move Kemba Walker, which I still think should be on the table, is, is you have to try and do something, anything to get rid of him at this point because his his salary, he's owed almost including this season, it's like a hundred million dollars, I believe. It's like overall, so ninety nine point one. Like you need to you need to move on from him. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, I'm going to stay in the Southeast Division, and I'm going to go with the team that is now leading the Southeast, and I think they are now fourth in the Eastern Conference. They yeah. are. Um, the 24-17 and 17 Miami Heat, who have won six straight, um, there was a lot of uh, – so I gave them a B plus. Let me get that out of the way. There was a lot of, I think, fair criticism that uh, Pat Riley and the Heat front office had kind of locked themselves into mediocrity by signing a bunch of uh, mid to like close to high level players to these big deals. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it's all sort of starting to come together here. Uh, it certainly helps that Dion Waiters has been out of the lineup recently, and and I will continue to and pound now for that the rest drum. of the year. Yeah. Um, they are so much better with Wayne Ellington on the floor, and there's a lot of numbers that, that back that up. But anyway, they, they just have so many guys that do so many little things, and it's like I said, it's all starting to come together now. I think Josh Richardson has sort of asserted himself as the team's best player, over the, or at least like second-best player. Maybe, maybe you could still argue uh, that it's Goron. But over the last like 15 games or so, Richardson has just been – unbelievable i think him and james johnson both can like fill up all five stat categories they just they have a ton of versatility on both ends of the floor um i think spolster is still one of the best coaches in the league they they are just very very much coming together to back up my point on richardson over his last 13 games he's averaging 17.9 points shooting 51 percent from the field 41.8 percent from three uh, four rebounds, over a block a game, over a steal a game, four assists. I mean, he's just been ridiculous. I, and, and like I said, I think he's probably their best player now. But behind him, they have three or four guys that just do so many different little things. And I, I think it all is starting to mesh together really nicely. So I gave them a B plus, And I, I would not be surprised if they held on to that, that number four spot all the way to the end. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you on everything you said. They're clearly kind of still searching in the front court this is i was going to say this is another team that could probably make a trade too because i think they're better with white side off the floor they are um the james johnson aside white side combination for the season has actually been fairly well together i I didn't look up how well they fared recently but the the heaters clearly to that point the heater clearly still searching in the front court was the the other day was it the miami game uh was it excuse me was it the miami toronto game where they had bam and hassan Whiteside on the floor at the same time and i was just like Whoa, and Bam was, has been good too. Bam's been good, but like, is that, is that like a front court combination? You really no, think? yeah, for uh, sure. Um, I'm I'm trying to see like right now how many minutes they've played together on the season. It's 27 minutes during which the Heat have a 91 offensive rating, and they they have an 84.4 defensive rating during that time, which is you know that kind of helps. But uh. I don't like that. That's really the one thing. If they could trade us on Whiteside, I don't think they can. And you look at this team, and it's good that they're going to fight for home court advantage in the East because despite um, having like the 
ability or the need to make a trade, you really you don't have the ability. Uh, Zach Lowe from ESPN.com had the report the other day that they're confident they can move some of these other deals. Tyler Johnson before um, – that one's he, going to be hard to move, I feel it's like. A, it's impossible to move. I was going to say, before his yeah. neck injury, he was playing pretty well uh, for a stretch. But, like, you're not going to be able to move that. Uh, James Johnson you could probably move, but I, he's your most important front court player, I, I would yeah, think, I, at this point. Uh, Hassan Whiteside, again, uh, I guess it helps that he's, like, he's not on the— for some reason, I always forget that he signed a, a four-year deal. So you look at it, and after this season, you know, if you're a team, you know, maybe let's say the Bucks, for instance, rather than going that's like off, our go-to for big men destinations, because well, it really is hard to find others, right? And then, so if you're if you're them, and you say, well, you know, so let this season's a wash, let's say, because we're more than halfway through. Some white sides owed twenty five point four next mil, four million dollars next year. That's more than DeAndre Jordan's going to make on the open market, but you're only locked into him through two thousand nineteen, two thousand twenty. At the at the most, because we're going to assume he opts he doesn't opt out after next year because he's owed twenty seven point one million in in nineteen twenty and he's not going to maybe it'll be tempting for him to go out and get a longer term deal but he's not going to come close to matching that uh, annually in the open market so maybe you could do something like that but then if you're the Heat you're probably not getting value for Whiteside like I don't like are you going to maybe you get John Henson from the Bucks but you don't really need John Henson from the Bucks yeah so you're looking at all salary filler maybe they would demand you take Del Vadova back as that trade. So they just don't have a lot of trade assets and no one is going to trade for Dion waiters right now. I would think <laughs> like, unless no. you're going to go like to the Hornets and say, Hey, we'll give you justice Winslow, Wayne Ellington and Dion waiters in a deal for Nicholas Batum. Um, and you might even need to add some salary. I don't even that. think I would do that. Uh, if you're the, the Hornets. No, if I'm the heat, well, I'd rather keep Ellington. Well, Ellington's good, but I think they only have early bird rights on him this year. So the other thing is, I wonder, I wonder how much value Justice Winslow has these days. He was such a trendy guy Johnson. for the first couple of years, but yeah, I would agree with that. And they, so yeah, I, I, basically what I'm saying is, I agree with you. I, I don't know how many tradable assets they have. And isn't that kind of the like that, that the precariousness of their situation is? Hey, they're better. Um, Lately, when Hassan Whiteside is off the floor, there a lot of this has coincided with, okay, Deion Waiters is injured, but we're paying him a ton of money. Justice Winslow, they've not been good when he's on the floor this year, um, and, and he's currently dealing with a, a left knee strain. So if you're better without some of these players on the this floor— the second year in a row they've gotten better once Justice got hurt. Yeah, that's like that torpedoes his trade value like more more yeah. than anything probably. We're, how do you go? We're looking at just this season, but Justice Winslow, it doesn't look like he's going to be out for the rest of the year like Waiters. So you know what do you do? Like it's just I, so I, I don't know. I think like, the one guy you can try to move is Whiteside, but I agree. I, I just don't know how many logical destinations there are. And you you know what? You probably don't even move Whiteside because. Like the defense is better with him on the floor, and you've actually been better with him on the floor overall since our quarter pull grades. Um, it's only he's only played in eight of those seventeen games, but still, like the defense gets better. He's a serviceable option on offense. I love when he takes those random jumpers. They've they've also tried. It seems like to really make him to make him make more passes, and it's just it's just really I don't know. I, I feel like it, it's not it's not even working in the slightest. So. I, you don't need to move him. The bigger problems for me, though, is then all of a sudden your front court is a little bit weird because of Kelly Olynyk, Bam, Hassan Whiteside, and and James Johnson. And then if you want to throw Justice Winslow into the conversation to play the four, like stuff just gets really weird. Their performance might be sustainable, but it, it's a red flag that some of your best players or 
maybe say most important players to both now and your future or highly paid players don't necessarily fit in to, to that scheme. Yeah. Um, they're certainly in an interesting spot. Did you, did you give your grade for them? I don't know if I did. I gave them a, I gave, so with that said, I gave them a, a B for the season okay. because they are chasing like home court advantage in the East. These are long-term concerns. All right. Back to you. Um, I went with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, or I'm going to go with the Brooklyn Nets, excuse me. And maybe this is like a little bit generous. They're six and twelve since the quarter poll. Um, they have the one of the four worst net ratings in the NBA during that time. I I, I gave them a B plus for the season. I'm just like I, I I don't know. Like I've just been impressed with what we talked about Spencer Dimwitty already. You're dealing with a bunch of injuries to D'Angelo Russell, um, to Jeremy to Jeremy Lin. You don't necessarily have any good players at the center position. Uh, the defense, though, since the quarter poll uh, grades has actually been okay. Uh, that's a testament to me. They are 10th in defensive rating over their last uh, 18 games. I'm just impressed with their player development. You look at Karis LeVert. You've had good moments uh, from Alan Crabb, which I think helps. Uh, Damari Carroll's probably turned into a trade asset. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson uh, looks very good, still kind of automatic from mid-range. I really think people continue to still kind of underestimate his ability as a playmaker and potential pick-and-roll ball handler. I've just been, like, uh, Joe Harris just sometimes doesn't miss from three-point range. I think that the Nets, they're not a good basketball team, but I don't think we looked at them and said, Hey, their pick is probably gonna come close to falling outside the bottom ten. Like, if, even if they have the eighth worst record in the NBA, like that's gonna be a little bit of an achievement for them. Did they get a second round pick when they Got traded Carol. Booker? Oh, yes, they did. Um, <laughs> it was the Knicks' second like, round pick too. So it's like you know, it's so not... it could be decent. Yeah, I, I love the way this front office is operated. Um. Getting two players and a pick for Trevor Booker is is pretty good, I think. Um, and it's increasingly looking like maybe that pick is what they valued more than Jaleel Okafor because he's he still does not look good, um, even with the Nets. I I don't know. I just feel like they were dealt a really tough hand when they took over that front office, that coaching staff, and they've handled it about as well as you can. They found. Um, I think they have certainly found something with Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, D'Angelo Russell was really good before he went down. I I don't I don't. When's the last time we heard anything on his status? Uh, they, um, I think he's he was with their G League team practicing. So okay, it looks like so he'll play soon. this season. I know a lot, there were some people who were speculating he wouldn't. Uh, I'm excited to see him. And someone asked Kenny Atkinson about this. They were like, "Will you play Dinwiddie and um, Russell together, and he was kind of like, you know, I'll consider it. And it's like, yes, you're going to do does. it. Like, yeah. you're going to. That's not even like a – I just thought that his response was just like unnecessarily Maybe tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would I, – I can't wait to see that combination. I, I they, they just made so many smart little moves. And um, I don't think their record should be much better than what it is given sort of where they started out this season. So I actually gave them a, a B- minus, um, just because they are still, you know – close to the bottom of the Eastern Conference. I can't go much higher than that. But they've, they've just done so many smart little things, um, taking shots on guys here and there. And, you know, they have one hit like Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, they have one miss like Julio Okafor. That's fine. I, I think when you're in this position, you take as many shots as you can and just see 
which ones hit and move on with those guys. So, um, yeah, I, I just think they've they've been very very smart, and I'm I gave them a B minus. The one thing I'll just add without comment before you give your next team is that since the quarter poll grades, four of their five most used lineups have a net rating of six point seven or better. Oh wow! Yeah, and three of them, three of those um, five, are at least plus twelve or better. So just throwing that out there. Um, one other thing. I wish I had this closer. I think Spencer Dinwiddie is still, if he's not top 10, he is like borderline top 10 in offensive real plus minus. I'll have it pulled up in about two seconds. He is eighth. Eighth in the entire NBA in, in offensive box plus minus. I mean, and the Nets, they're, <laughs> the, the last time I had checked, um, they were – like very solidly, like firmly inside the top ten of offensive rating when he was on the court. It's like that's, like you know, that's his, pretty amazing. Yeah, his shooting can be weird. Um, they've fallen off offensively in recent weeks with him. That's another guy that the but, Bulls uh, let go of, by right. the way. And he's good. He's like a good defensive option too. Like he's gonna defend. Like he's gonna switch on a bunch. He's six five, which is great size for a point guard. Or is he six six? I always forget. So, um, he, yeah, he might be six six. Yeah, he's so he's six six. Like that's great size for a point guard. So of course he's going to play. Like him and D'Angelo Russell. That's like interestingly, Russell six five. Absolutely yeah. play together. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I can't wait to see them together. Nor can I. Back to me. Um, I'm going to go with the Wizards, and I gave them a C plus. I feel like the Wizards have just been slightly underwhelming this season. I, I felt like this was a team. I was before the season started. I was comfortable saying Cleveland's the best team in the East, and then there was two or three teams I thought could possibly compete for number two, and I thought Washington was one of those teams. Um, they're not super. I mean, yeah, I was going to say they're not super far off second, but they actually are. Um, <laughs> they're six. They're six and a half games back of the second-place Raptors. They're nine-and-a-half games back of the first-place Celtics. Um, they've just been closer to mediocre than I expected. They have so much talent uh, up top. John Wall, I think, um, is still one of the best point guards in the league. Bradley Beal has been awesome this season. Otto Porter is absolutely worth his max contract. Um, they have some interesting young guys like Kelly Oubre. Uh, so I just thought all that talent at the top, this would be their second year with Scott Brooks. Maybe they'd have a little bit more continuity with what he likes to do. And I, I just thought they would be better. So they're not bad. Um, but the reason I'm giving them a C plus is just because I feel like it's been slightly underwhelming. They're 23 and 18 right now, which again, that's, that's okay. I just, I, I figured they would be closer to contending for like home court advantage. No, I'm, I'm with you. And it's also, they're underachieving because I think if you look at their roster that they comfortably right now go eight to nine players deep. Like if you look at, they first of all, they have three guys in Beal, Wall, and Porter who rank in the top 10 at their position. And Beal and Wall are probably closer to the top five at their position. Mm-hmm. Um, Otto Porter's right there. They're, all three of them are probably top seven at their position. Mike Scott has been good for them uh, since the quarter. Badaransky's been good. Yeah. Uh, Gortat has been, like, he's been fine. Uh, Markeith Morris has gotten better in his last 16 games, 52% shooting, 37.5 from three, 85.3, the charity stripe. Kelly Oubre, since the quarter pull grades, shooting 37% from three. Mike Scott, since the quarter pull grades, averaging more than 20 minutes per game, 
11.8 points, 64.8% shooting, 47.9 from deep. So just when you kind of factor all that in, I know they've dealt with an absence from John Wall. I like it's how are you like how is this where you are? Why are you 9.5 games back of number 1 in the East, 6.5 back of of number 2? Like you just you shouldn't be there. And at the very least you should not be behind the Heat given the season that Miami has had. So so I'm with you there. I ended up giving them a C just because you look at their individual performances and it's like, oh, okay, you know, like that's good. But then it, it's just their, their record just doesn't match up with it. So, uh, you know, but again, the starting lineup has rebounded since the quarter pull grades, the one with Markeith Morris, they're destroying opponents. Uh, but you have some better guys coming off the bench. And I think what they probably really lack is they, they still need that Lou Williams type player coming off. I was going to say that's another or Tyree team Kevin. that's like, yeah, <laughs> I was going to mention those exact two names. Another one that's interesting to me for them is J.J. Barea. If he's Ooh. your backup point guard and Sadoransky's like your backup two, I, I think that gives the bench a little boost too. Maybe they need one more um, reserve that can kind of give that second unit a little punch. But um, yeah, I'm with you. I think overall it's it's been a little bit of a letdown. Um, I'm going to move on to the Knicks, who have yet to become sellers, and for that real reason, I'm giving them <laughs> the same grade I gave them last time. I want to give them a D, but I feel like that's just a little bit harsh because their record is still better uh, than, than people would have expected at this point in the season. Um, at least for me, I did not think that midway through the year we'd say, oh, they're only two games back of eighth place in the east but that feels artificial and that, that's just kind of where i land with them Kristaps porzingis has talked about being tired um the offense has not been good with him on the floor uh since we did the quarter pull grades and, and that's going to be an issue he's he's still fantastic but they're just they're starting to regress to the mean not having tim hardaway jr hasn't really helped of course but we can't talk about tim hardaway jr as like this savior and, and they need at least to... you get trey burke soon right I'm actually kind of interested. Hey, if we're going to have to add a shout-out to Trey Burke at the end of this podcast is all I'm saying. So Kristaps Porzingis over his last 15 games is he's still averaging 21.5 points. He's still a very valuable rim protector. He's shooting 39.7% from the field, 31.9% from three. And it's they rely too much on Michael Beasley, um, in my opinion. Even when he's at his best, he's like a net wash. You need to be shopping Courtney Lee um, – I, Doug McDermott shouldn't be off limits, even though he's been better than expected, particularly on defense, just because you, I don't know if you want to pay him this year. Kylo Quinn should certainly be shopped because he's probably going to opt out. Lance Thomas is there, too. Like, see what you can get for these guys. Maybe you try and get involved with the Pistons. I sent you a deal the other day that I didn't like um, in retrospect, but, like, the Pistons, like, they could use Lance Thomas and Courtney Lee. Maybe would you be willing to take back Stanley Johnson and eat John Lohr's deal for that? I absolutely think that it's something you should consider. So they need to be sellers because they're not a good basketball team. Yes, they're within close proximity, Um to, to a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference, but maybe we should talk about them winning some road games first, but before we really even consider them a fringe playoff team. And again, I don't think you should be actively, I'm not even going to say double down because they probably won't be buyers, but like you shouldn't actively be content at this point uh, to be chasing that eighth spot. And so I'm going to keep them at a C minus. They're only going to go lower if they don't become sellers at the trade deadline. I feel like I should probably give them an A just because of Michael Beasley. 
but it I, sounds like you're not on that. I, I just maybe my problem is with Jeff Hornacek more. Like I like I just I, I don't know because I um, I don't need to see Michael Beasley on the floor. And what's gonna you know what's gonna happen when Tim Hardaway Jr. comes back? I don't want to see Doug McDermott fall out of the rotation. Like I so I don't want to see Lance Thomas fall out of the need rotation. To embrace Beasley, Dan. That's all there is to it. I can't do it. I'm sorry. Uh, my real grade for them is a C plus. Uh, just just to sort of warm the cockles of your heart, Beasley's last <laughs> just 12 really, games. That's the best line you've ever said. <laughs> Beasley's last 12 games, 19.1 points, 7.9 rebounds, two assists, almost a block, almost a steal, 54% from the field, 50% from three. Um, anyway. <laughs> do you, wait, so do you want to know what his, his plus minus is over this stretch? Yes. Zero. <laughs> so That's like perfect. I don't like I don't give I don't give a crap. And he's like, still uh he's still this I I I looked this up the other day. Um right now he has the best box plus minus of his career and it's still minus 1.6. <laughs> like ba- barely above replacement level. I also think they deserve some credit for somehow turning Ennis Cantor into a distinct plus. I know you you're maybe not can uh, we, can I there with me either? There? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Since the quarter poll grades, he has played in 17 games, and he is, drumroll please, a minus 56, which is the second worst oh, mark on the team in front of only Jarrett Jack. And okay. the next closest player to him is Lance Thomas at a minus 45. So the gap is just like, let's get Rebuttal off the Enos Cantor's okay yeah. bandwagon. <laughs> anyway, like Enos Cantor the other day was like, I don't know why I don't play late in games. Well, because Enos Cantor and Michael Beasley in crunch time is not something that the world is ready for. I still gave him a C plus because, like you said, they are better than I thought they would be. Um, they're 19 and 22. I think they're starting to fall back closer to what we expected, but I, I didn't think they'd be anywhere near the playoffs yeah. halfway through the season. So they deserve some credit for that. Chris Tapps, like you said, has cooled off a lot, but his hot start was was really something, and I think he's obviously a guy that you can build around for the future. Um, and it, uh, th- there's there's lots to like with this team, but they are still you know falling out of the playoffs, and so that's that's why I gave them a C plus. Back to you. Whoo! I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the Celtics. I gave them an A plus. I I feel like this will be largely the same explanation I gave last time. Um, when Gordon Hayward went down at the beginning of the season. It just felt to me like they were, you know, fifth or sixth in the East at best. I thought Al Horford and Kyrie Irving are great, but after those two, there's like nothing on that roster. Even if you're high on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, that's a rookie and a second-year player. And when you rely that heavily on guys that young, things just don't go well. And (laughs) Brad Stevens has just done a masterful job with that team turning them into this defensive juggernaut that they are now um and it's not just those two young guys he's getting valuable contributions from another rookie daniel tice has been awesome um he shows up consistently week after week in the top 10 of defensive uh box plus minus like it's just amazing what he draws out of people i i don't i don't know if there's another coach in the league that could make marcus smart as valuable as brad stevens has (laughs) Um, Aaron Baines, I think is second in the entire NBA in defensive real plus minus right now. He just, I'm, I'm not like certain that he couldn't make me into a 15th man. <laughs> at this point. 
Like it's incredible what he can do. Um, lots of credit to to Horford and Irving too. Uh, they've been awesome leading this team. So there's there's just a lot of positive things I can say about the Celtics. They're they're an easy A plus in my book. I gave them an A plus too, which is down from an A plus 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 because they just went through <laughs> that stretch of like humanity. Um, but like that's you know like that's whatever. They're they're just still the other thing about them is sorry to cut you off. They've had like almost double digit um, come from behind wins of more than ten points. Here's a stat. Which is crazy. Go Here's ahead. the stat. They've trailed by 15 or more points 10 times this season. They are 6-4 and four in those games. That's insane. Um, and I also just <laughs> wanted – the only thing I really want to add to you is that everything that we've talked about for the Celtics all year, which is why they're going to be a short team, it, it's just the same. Like the, their league-best defense still intact, even though it kind of fluctuated for a little bit. Um, but it's just – I, I like Jason Tatum is just efficient. Al Horford is probably deserves just a little bit more MVP love. Uh, although that statement probably held a little bit more cachet last time we did these grades. Kyrie Irving is still uh, giving a better effort on the defensive end, and they're just so incredibly deep. Brad Stevens deserves all the credit in the world. The one thing that I think we're not talking about enough, and I wrote about this um, last night after their. Uh, oh, I guess I shouldn't say last night after Thursday's win in London over the Sixers. Jalen Brown has been, like, really, really good this year. And he kind of became this – I got some pushback on me calling him an afterthought. But look at what happened over the offseason. You got Jason Tatum while trading away the rights to draft Markel Fultz. You signed Gordon Hayward. Then you traded for Kyrie Irving. So even when you factor in Avery Bradley uh, leaving uh, during that trade and the Celtics obviously thinking Jalen Brown could take some of his minutes, he became an afterthought. Since we did the quarter poll grades, though – he is the third highest net rating on the team, 9.7 points per 100 possessions, and he's in front of all their like most used guys because during this stretch, Marcus, Mar- Marcus Morris, who's in front of him at second, has only played in seven games, and then you have uh, Kadeem Allen, who's played in three games for them for a total of eight minutes. So he's really had, among the Celtics' healthy players, uh, the best net rating since the quarter pole grades. Uh, it's just... I, 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 he's really good. His his three point shot is now for real. He's still not a good facilitator, but he's getting better and more efficient on drives. And what's what's really an encouraging sign for me is this doesn't really have to do with an, a huge uptick in volume. His usage rate is only elevated slightly. And yes, he's doubled his number of drives per game, but he's also almost doubled his playing time. It's just the efficiency's up. He's making quicker decisions. More of his shots are coming within two seconds of him receiving possessions. And what he has the potential to do defensively is huge for this team. He still gets burned. Uh, He chases too many pump fakes is the thing I've noticed with him, but it's almost because he's doing too much. He helps and recovers from double teams uh, more than anyone on the team, I would guess, even though I don't have a stat to back that up. So he's constantly closing out on these guys, and so he jumps first, or he's going at full speed, and it's hard for him to hold up. His effort, I just appreciate it. And the Sixers game was just more evidence to that to me. The, the Celtics were down by 22. He went off in the second quarter, quarter, brought energy when no one else was doing so on the roster. And he's just he's a bigger part of what they're doing now and their future than most people give him credit for. And we need to remind everyone, he's 21 years old. So there's a chance that maybe he can run some pick and rolls. Or maybe he becomes a, a serviceable pull-up shooter. Or someone you can use in isolation sometimes like you do Jason Tatum. So he's just someone to watch because I don't think he was getting enough love before the season and then even when the Celtics uh, very much established themselves as the best team in the East. Yeah, I think I agree with all that. Um, The one thing about his playmaking, and I get why people continue to sort of harp on it, but 
if you're on a team that has Kyrie Irving, Al right. Horford, Marcus Smart, and Gordon Hayward, I mean, it's not like critical right now anyway. So um, it's just when he yeah, has the ball, really like good. he could be like when you put him in the post or even in the rare opportunity he's run pick and roll. He's just been turnover prone, and like that's something he just needs to work on. But his turnover rate is down on drive, so he's trending in the right direction. And he, I don't, what would you call a ceiling at this point? Can you say fringe all star and not sound ridiculous? No, I don't think that's ridiculous. A okay. second-year player who's 21 and averaging Second leading scorer on the team, and, too. So for as much he's averaging as like, 14. His yeah. effective field goal percentage is barely below Kyrie's. I, I, diff, like you said, his defense is awesome. So, I don't, yeah, I don't think that's a ridiculous statement. Um, I'm going to – as and by the way, when he plays without Jason Tatum, Al Horford, or Kyrie Irving, the Celtics are still in that plus. The offense is bad, but the defense is still really good. And I don't care about the level of competition he's going up against with that point or how many minutes those uh, he come, of that come alongside with Marcus Smart. Like, if that's the situation and you're still maintaining your defensive identity, I'm impressed by that. Um, I'm going to move on to the Milwaukee Bucks, who uh, I feel like I might get pushed back for saying this, but they're basically the Wizards, except they have Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I feel like that inoculates them against criticism, yeah. um, even though their record is worse. And they have Jason Kidd, so people are just more inclined to blame some stuff on him. I definitely don't think he helps. But they just – I feel like they should be better. Like some of their like, – Yeah, they're most, underwhelming. They're, they're like a combination of the Sixers and the Wizards, right? Like you don't really trust anyone on their bench, but like their, their core guys, they're all really good when they play together on the floor. And of course, like there's Atentacumpo there's who has been – I sent you this the other day before it went live. Uh, he's been absolutely absurd in just how much he's doing elsewhere. So I'm just going to read this off. Uh, yes, please. Atentacumpo is scoring more points than LeBron James, posting a better defensive rebounding rate than Anthony Davis, notching a higher assist rate than Eric Bledsoe, forcing more steals per 100 possessions than Draymond Green, challenging more shots at the rim than Hassan Whiteside, running more pick and rolls than Nicholas Batum, averaging more possessions as the pick and roll diver than Dwight Howard, hitting more threes per game than Andre Godala, who has been atrocious as a jump shooter this year, and tallying a better true shooting percentage than Clay Thompson. I'm just going to rest it's my case there. And he's, he's enough. Yeah. yeah. He, when you look at the difference between him on and off the court, it's just, it, it's night and day with them. And that's why I have to give them a C. I gave them a C minus last time. So it's actually up a tick, but they need to make a move at the trade deadline. Like it needs to be, like maybe another high-end switchy wing or more preferably like a big who can rebound and finish out of the pick and roll and maybe, you know, you prefer a floor spacer, but I don't think if you could get Hassan Whiteside or DeAndre Jordan, that might be the type of player they need to target. I wonder if they're just holding off because they, they're still confident in Jabari Parker. I guess they want to see the, what they all look like together. He is the He would be the wild card for them, I guess. There was a report just the other day that said that he might be back before the All-Star break. I don't... That's still not necessarily back before the trade deadline, so that's that could be an interesting uh, couple weeks for the Bucks. I gave them a C plus, um, just because I'm I'm with you. I think they are not as good as they should be um, when their main guys are together. Bledsoe, Anadokounmpo, and uh, Middleton are all on the floor. They're they're really good. I think Anadokounmpo, you laid out the case. I don't really need to add much to it, but he's a surefire top five player in the league right now. For sure. So they, they probably should be better, and that's why I'm keeping them below a B. Uh, but I, I still think there's plenty of positive signs there, and I'm super interested to see how Jabari, Par Jabari Parker looks. They 
the only time they've been able to play those three together, Parker Middleton and Antetokounmpo, was back in, I believe, 15-16. And they all had like decent individual numbers, but the net rating when those three were on the floor was, I think, just 0.3. So not great. But again, that was two years ago. So uh, a lot has changed since then. It'll be interesting to see those three with plus, plus Eric Bledsoe. Um, yeah, it's just it, there's there's still a lot to be decided with that team over the next couple of weeks. So I don't I don't even know if they can make a trade unless yeah. they want to trade Parker. And, and the thing I'll say is that their most interesting four man combinations would look far more interesting if you then slide Jabari Parker in as to like the fifth. Like it's just there's so yeah. many you know, like a Tentacumpo. Super Bledsoe. interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say a super interesting lineup is four or five Parker on a Tentacumpo. And then um, maybe like Bledsoe, Snell, and Middleton. Yeah, that that would be the. Um, I don't know why I can't talk right now. That that would be the like the big one. If you, if you look like it's just looking at their four man units is basically what I was getting at. Like they're all their top used ones are just like demonstrative um, pluses. And if you so look at this one, so Atendakumpo, Bledsoe, Middleton, Snell is outscoring opponents by eleven point five points per hundred possessions. So to your point, you slot Parker as the de facto 4-5 with a Tentacubo trading off. Like, that's a lethal lineup. So, again, that's the thing I was going to add and what I'm very interested to see. The the con- bigger concern for me, and Parker's not going to help this, their defensive schemes need to change, and they have changed for quarters and sometimes games at a time, but they're still just like, I'm not into this hyper-aggressive stuff. They are... They are they are twenty eighth in the fraction of shots given up beyond the arc and from inside the rim, and that's better than only the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are again the second worst defensive team in the league, and then the Oklahoma City Thunder, who ironically are one of the better defensive teams in the league, even though they've slipped off recently. So, it, like something needs to change there because you have the talent to be, I would say, an above average defensive team or at least an average defensive team. And the fact that you're 23rd in defensive efficiency um, overall on the season, and I believe they're even worse since the quarter pole grades, or are they better? I can't even, uh, it's not in front of me right now. So it's just, you need to be a better defensive team than you've been. And, and I don't, I haven't seen enough from them um, in the aggregate that makes me think that, hey, uh, maybe maybe they could be. Yes, they're 25th in defensive rating, by the way, since the quarter pole grades. So they've gotten worse. Yeah, they should they should certainly be better than they are. Um, that leaves us with drum roll, please. Adam Frommel's Atlanta Hawks, last team to talk about. I gave them a C minus. Um, they they do have the worst record in the league. I'm not going to go lower than a C minus though because I do think that there are some positive things. Uh, John Collins was a great draft pick. I think he's arguably one of the five best rookies in this really, really good rookie class. I'm a little frustrated that Budenholzer's really messed around with his minutes here lately. That's very strange to me. I I feel like they should have entrusted (laughs) the team to this guy basically at this point. Um, (laughs) The team? (laughs) He is, I I think he is so good. He he already leads the team in like every catch-all metric. Um I, I would love to see him playing like 30 minutes a game already. That's how high I am on John Collins. Uh, they found like a little diamond in the rough in Tyler Cavanaugh. They they still, I think, play smart basketball the, the way that Budenholzer's coached all the way back to that team that had five all-stars and surprised us all with 60 wins. Torian Prince is, is showing a lot. I think maybe it's uh, 
time to see what you can maybe get for Dennis Schroeder, but that's another guy that might be hard to find a destination for. Right. Um, so there's there's definitely a lot of upside with this team, but just they they have the worst record in the league, so I I have a hard time going any higher than a C minus for them. So I gave them uh, I kept their grade the same from last time, and I gave them a C plus. Uh, and a few things. The John Collins playing time, it's there are some games where it looks like they're going to just let him like run out for, for additional minutes, and then there are games at the time where it doesn't look like it's going to happen. I've just been impressed elsewhere. We also have to account they've been dealing with a lot of injuries. Dwayne Dedman was great before he went down. Now DeAndre jo- uh, Bembry's missing Colton Jordan for a second. He has a groin injury he's dealing with. Marco Bellinelli's dealing with an ankle injury now. Uh, they haven't had Mike Muscala. He's been in and out of the lineup. Uh, Torian Prince, though, has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, since the quarter pole grades, which is 17 games for the Hawks, so it's not an insignificant sample size, no one has logged more total minutes than Torian Prince. Um, and they're outscoring opponents by 3.9 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. To that point, he is shooting 44.7% from the field, 40.2% from three. He's getting to the foul line a little bit more, and he's at 88.2%. Uh, from the line there too so if you're gonna get like he's a 13.9 points per game scorer during this stretch and and you're a net plus with him he's a better rebounder his passing to me has gotten so much better picture this is what i see with him and i'm not saying this just because they have like a similar haircut picture like jay crowder but able to run a bunch of pick and rolls <laughs> and you have yeah. torian prince like that's just that's absurd to me and i think giving him more responsibility as a sophomore while we might um hem and haw about how they're using John Collins, you know, I'm I'm kind of okay with it. They've they've rehabilitated or at least improved uh, Ersan Ilyasova's trade value. He's been good for them, uh, shooting 48.6% from three over his last 17 games. It'll be interesting to see what they can get for him. And the bigger thing might be Kent Bazemore has been really good this year. Now, all of a sudden, he's got 54 uh, million and change left on his deal, including this season. You might not, you probably don't have to include a sweetener to get rid of him. Like so. I, I don't know. I'm I'm just impressed by some of what, like the individual developments here. And yes, they have the worst record in the league, but that's actually that's good for them. They've been able to experiment with different things because of the injuries. You need to figure out what you have in this rebuild. And you have five first round picks coming over the next two drafts. And if you make the right trade at the deadline using Luke Babbitt, Bellinelli, there's also Bazemore. Like maybe you could add a sixth or seventh to that chamber. Yeah, that's going to be a really interesting team um, at the deadline too. I, there's a bunch of guys they could probably sell off. Like you said, Ilyasova might have some value now. Bellinelli, I think, could be interesting. Deadman, they might oh, yeah, be able to if trade he's, him. If he's going to be healthy, he, you could certainly trade him. Even Luke Babbitt. I'm a Luke Babbitt fan. Yeah, I just ran a number on him the other day. Um, among players with at least 503 point attempts over the last uh, four seasons, the only players with a higher three-point percentage than him are Kyle Korver and J.J. Redick. Okay, if he's well, in the right absurd. role, that's... Yeah, that's that's a really interesting caveat. Like, his last shooter. since the quarter pole grades, and he's only made nine appearances. He's shooting twenty six point seven percent from deep, so that would be his. He'll be fine. That's a blip on the radar for my for Luke Babbitt. For one of the best shooters of all time. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> um, all right, that wraps us up. We have now graded all thirty teams in the NBA at the halfway point of the season. Like Dan said at the top of the show, we've got the Western Conference grades in a different episode, and you can find that in the Hardwired Knox feed on Apple Podcasts or over on NBA Math or Blog Talk Radio or Stitcher. Um, speaking of all those platforms, make sure you're following us 
uh, there, whichever one is most convenient for you. Um, leave us a review or a rating, especially on Apple Podcasts. That helps a lot. Um, tell your friends to subscribe or review or rate so you can um, tell them about the last stupid point you heard from the Hardwood Knox crew. Uh, and you can then get at us on Twitter where Dan is at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. And the sponsor is at NBA underscore math. Uh, until next time, enjoy these grades. Uh, rip us apart on Twitter. I know Dan really appreciates that. Um, shout out to Bino Udri and shout out to Kyle Anderson. Right now, there are great deals to escape to Europe in spring and summer on direct flights to Ireland with Aer Lingus. Stay put in cool contemporary capital Dublin or head off to any of 20 amazing European cities you've always wanted to visit. Classical chic Rome, Paris, the home of romance, or London, the cutting edge of culture. Deals are for a limited time only, so hurry and book today. Smart says escape to Europe this spring and summer. Smart flies Aer Lingus. Book now at aerlingus.com. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.